You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, New Albany. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 53, 4-6. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. What's up, Glenda? Uh, It's good to see you guys. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and build them up as his church and send them to follow him in his world. And I'm I'm thankful that you've come to be a part of that with us. We're coming to the end of the year, which means it's year-end giving time. If you're in a position to do something like that, someone's pointing and laughing. Sorry, it makes me insecure. (laughs) I feel like a 12-year-old up here sometimes just nervous about everything. Uh, So it's a scary thing when you're in front of a crowd of people and some random corner starts giggling and, you know, my my fly down or something. But uh, we're good. I checked already, Glenda. I checked. Um, And so um, despite what... You may believe at the moment we are not the kind of church that has $600,000 hidden in the walls behind a toilet. You know what I'm saying? Y'all heard that story? Uh, There's a big church somewhere and somebody, plumber came in, knocked a toilet down, they found $600,000 just sitting in. We don't have that kind of a situation here. Uh, So um, usually this uh, this time of year, we have some call to give or to bring to light some situation in our church and our community that we're trying to raise funds for. And, and this year, it's just us trying to catch up with where our budget is after a really difficult year, uh, after a really difficult year. And so with, um, with all of the losses that have happened and with all of the struggles, and uh, if, you've, if you've got a, a child here, you've probably gotten a little tired of the dance of, are we doing masks in, in the kids' wing this week or not? Are volunteers masking? Are we not masking? We're masking here. What are all the policies? And trying to keep all of that straight. It's been a, it's been a difficult year to go to church. It's been a difficult year to be friends. And despite all of that, uh, I'm just so tickled by all the life that's happening in our church. You may notice this big brown thing out here. We call this a baptistry, which means more people are getting baptized today. And you may be wondering, well, didn't we just do baptisms? We just did baptisms. And I don't know what's going on over in our student ministry, but we're baptizing kids once a month, once every six weeks or so over there, students. And um, we've seen dozens of people get baptized in the last year, despite everything that's that's going on. Um, I'm excited for us as a church that we provided free health care earlier in the year, that we provide free tutoring every year. Uh, we provide healthy food to our neighborhood. We're in the process of um, 
giving Christmas gifts to kids in our neighborhood uh, with dignity. We're not just going to give them away. Um, if, you, if you haven't been paying attention to the affordable Christmas ministry we do, members buy Christmas gifts, and then we sell them at about 90% discount to folks in the neighborhood so people can still buy Christmas gifts for their children, but in, in an affordable way. Um, we're excited as a church that, you know, some of the losses we've endured have come because we've spoke up for the defenseless, the powerless, the vulnerable in our culture and, and in our society. So in, in essence, as a, as a church, we're excited to be a part of God's, uh, of answering God's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not a church that's just waiting for Jesus to come back. And so if you want to be a part of that, or if you're in a position to do some year-end giving, uh, we we would welcome it. So um, thank you. And, and you guys are just an, an incredibly incredibly generous church. So no one's worried, no one's anxious, no one's nervous, anything like that. Um, we are the church and we are being the church and I'm thankful for that. Um, it's kind of weird talking about that right now for me personally. Um, is anybody else on Stormwatch most of Friday night, stayed up late? Um, yeah, so we were up late. I was nervous because my parents were driving to Chicago for a wedding on Saturday and, <coughs> excuse me, we live in a really old house uh, it's the kind of house where if like if you step hard in the kitchen, you can feel it on the other side of the house. And um, when if the dryer isn't uh, isn't set just right or if something's imbalanced, you know the whole kitchen shakes. And so it's like, oh, how are we going to handle a tornado if if that hits here? Um, so my my wife and I were up till you know two two thirty in the morning watching the news. And uh, there's friends of ours in the church. We have a, a little group thread. You know, how you got the group thread with some with your people, and so we're up there texting all through the night. Um, I remember you know when it started crossing over Tennessee that we started praying that it would turn to the right, and that's a hard thing to pray, right? Lord, had let it hit somebody else and not hit us, and. Because I don't want it to hit us, but I don't really want it to hit anybody. And so, so what do you pray? And um, I can remember going to bed thankful and sad at, at the same time. Um, because obviously, Western Kentucky didn't fare as well as we did. Um, woke up the next morning. Uh, the people on this group chat were Matthew and Katie Poston. Um, so they've been around our church for a long, long time. Some of you know Katie. She's one of our women's ministry leaders. And uh, she texted us first thing in the morning and says, Guys, look at what I found on my car. And it, it was an old picture of a couple from, um, you know, it was like 100 years old or something like that. And it, it was just, it was like somebody had left a note on her windshield. It was just stuck on her windshield. And we're like, wow, that's so cool. I can't believe that, the, what are the odds that a picture would land perfectly right there on your windshield? And on the back of it, it had somebody's name, um, the name of the husband and the wife. It was like a wedding couple picture with a date on the bottom. And she said, I, I think I'm going to post this on social media and see if I can find who this picture belongs to. And we're like, well, sure, yeah, you know, like, finally something good for Facebook or Twitter, right? So she posts it, and we just thought it was like a neat thing. Let, let's, let's see what happens. Um, about an hour later, she found a great-grandson, and this picture um, came from Dawson Springs, Kentucky, 130 miles away, um, which tells you something about the storm that we were dealing with, this picture flew 130 miles and landed on one of our members' windshields. And in the wonder of social media, it took her about an hour to find the owner. Um, cool story, right? So 
Hour and a half later on Twitter, it's got a thousand some retweets and a few thousand. She went kind of viral for us. I don't know if you, you know, but if I get three notifications on Twitter, it's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Everybody's talking about it. Everybody really was talking about it. She sends us a text message and says, WDRB wants to talk to me. And we're like, oh, <laughs> look at you, Katie. The little local news, right? Big deal. Uh, and then like 10 minutes after that, <laughs> She's like, uh, whatever, W-A-K-K in Lexington is going to come out and they want to interview me. And we're like, regional news, you know, Lexington's talking about it. And then about a half an hour after that, she's like, all right, guys, I just got off with CNN, CBS, and like U.S. World News. And we we're like, what is happening? Half an hour after that, she's like, I just got off the phone with Good Morning America. I'm going to be on Good Morning America Monday morning. And we we're like, what is going on? <laughs> Uh, so I, you know, Katie was on the news last night, and she's probably going to be on the news a couple more times talking about this picture that flew 130 miles in a storm that landed her, and she found the owner. Um, it's a wild story, and I don't want to downplay how cool it is, and, I've, you know, I'd like one of my friends to be on Good Morning America. I think it's great. Uh, why is a picture such a big deal? Why does the picture mean so much, and why does it get so much attention? Um, why is there something about this story that all of these strangers, thousands of strangers on the internet were like, we have to find this family. We have to get them this picture. I've been thinking about this a lot since Saturday at about 1 p.m., um, which was yesterday, right? 15 hours ago. Um, and one of the things that I've thought about with photos, why photos are, are so powerful, uh, you know, both my father and my wife's father for Christmas, like the last five years, all they ask for is a picture of the grandchildren. Um, why? Why are photos so powerful? In, in some ways, I, I think photos are a memory of someone's presence. F photos are a snapshot of a memory, literally. Um, and, and these memories can be particularly powerful if they involve people who've passed away. I think presence, the presence of another, is the name of the game when it comes to being human. I think if you boil down all of our efforts and all of our desires at the core, you will find a longing to be in the presence of another in some ways, I think that's why photographs can feel so powerful. They remind us of the presence of somebody that we loved. And in some ways, it can feel like we're in their presence again. And, and presence communicates something that words cannot. I think all of us know this intuitively. Presence involves all that you are. It involves all of your senses, all of your emotions, all of your thoughts. That's why Presence is more powerful than information alone. Um, I think all of us, you know, if you, if you had the choice to know why your loved one got sick and passed away or to hug them again, which would you choose? If you had the option to get an extravagant gift from a deceased parent or to have Christmas dinner with them again, which would you choose? We, we long for presence because information is not as powerful. Now, presence requires information, and information rightly received 
leads to presence. Think about the photo. We had to get the information about somebody's name. They had to get the information about where this descendant lives and how to get there. Information rightly received then is going to, in a couple of days, lead to Katie being in the presence of this family and this family getting this token back of someone else's presence. The, the longing of the human heart is the presence of others, and this includes the presence of God. When we stop at mere information, when we settle just for information, it, it does not work. What do I mean by work? I mean, make you feel better, bring you peace, um, bring you stability or comfort. Knowing why a tornado forms does not give us peace. Knowing the meteorological information about weather systems and pressure, and that, that doesn't give us peace. Knowing a diagnosis does not bring comfort, but a loving, understanding presence does. And if I, I promise you, if you search the scriptures and look for what is God's answer to our anxiety, what is God's answer to the calamity and uncertainty in this world, what is God's answer to the problem of evil? Why do bad things happen? His solution to all of that is not information. It's his own presence. Which means we must be a people on the lookout for information that leads to the presence of God. Less answers and more an experience of his nearness. And <clears throat> so maybe the question for us, the question that I'm wrestling with is in, in all of our grief, whether it's this season in general, whether you're feeling the losses of this last couple of days particularly profoundly, or something else entirely is going on in your life. How do we find the presence of God in so much pain, so much confusion, and so much loss? I think a lot of us, part of the reason this is so difficult for us, finding the presence of God this way, is because we think that God shows up with fireworks or light shows. Um, I, I became a Christian at a youth camp, which... That's kind of where the phrase on fire for Jesus came. Y'all know that phrase, I'm on fire for Jesus. And if you're a great Christian, I'm on fire for Jesus. And, you know, we're drawn to things that look spectacular. We're drawn to things that, that look big. We're, we're not so drawn to steady, ordinary, everyday faithfulness. We're, we're not drawn to the person that goes to work at the same job for 35, 40 years and does it faithfully. We're looking at the big celebrity and the big fancy, splashy thing. So most of us, I think, in our tradition, <clears throat> think God only shows up in fireworks or light shows. He only exists on the mountaintops. And if you don't have that on fire for Jesus feeling, then you're not with God and he's not near you. So you better go chase that feeling. If you want to find the presence of God, you need to know what to look for. If you want to find the presence of the God of the Bible, you need to know what to look for. And the scriptures tell us God comes to us in unexpected ways with an unexpected message. Earlier in 53, the passage that Aaron read for us, at the very beginning of it, it gives us some details of what to look for. And I wish we talked about this more. Verse 2 of Isaiah 53, it's talking about God's promised one who had come, the chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed one. It says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Have you noticed when there's been movies made about Jesus, most of the time he's so good looking, so beautiful, he's clean? God's promised presence would not come through a celebrity red carpet. There were no TV crews or paparazzi when the king came because the king came as a baby 
born of a teenager from an out-of-the-way town that nobody cared about. There was nothing majestic about the way he looked. You couldn't, you couldn't look at Jesus and say, well, it makes sense, look at him. You know, you look at Brad Pitt and you're like, well, of course he's famous, look at him. Uh, there was nothing about Jesus that was obvious that he would be the one. You couldn't look at his family and be like, look at the stock he comes from. I mean, it makes sense. You, you couldn't look at his town and say, well, of course. You couldn't look at his school. There was nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. His appearance. You couldn't look at his town, his clothing, his job, his finances and say, oh, this, this is probably God which is just a strong and subtle reminder for us that God's presence is not always obvious. Do you know how many decades people lived in the presence of God and they didn't know it? God's presence is not always going to be what we think of when we think of divine intervention. It's not going to be a spiritual high or something showy and impressive every time. Verse 4. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Are you looking for God near the applause? Do you look for God near spotlights and celebrations? Do you look for God only when the sun is shining and all is right in the world? When God came near, he was despised and rejected. When God came near, he was a man with tears running down his face and deepest grief. You ever think about how dirty Jesus would have been? How dirty his hands and feet would have been? Even before he was homeless, he was working a blue-collar, sweaty job. The last three years of his life, he probably slept on the ground most of the time and walked on dirty roads you, I don't want to be irreverent here, but have you ever thought about how bad Jesus must have smelled in his earthly ministry? Sweaty and dirty and sleeping on the ground for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. I bet if Jesus walked down the streets today looking like he did then, most of us would avoid him. Most of us would look at, you know how you do that thing where you pretend not to see the person coming so you can avoid making eye contact? God's presence is not going to be obvious for us all the time, and I think most of us probably need to recalibrate our vision to know what we're looking for. God's presence will often appear upside down to us. He's not likely to be found amongst the powerful and the pretty. He's not likely to be found amongst the well-to-do and the wealthy. He's not often found in the places that are put together and impressive. Now, why would he come this way? Why would he come in such an unexpected way? Isaiah tells us, verse 4 continues, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Try to put it real simply. He came this way because we are this way. Every human that I have ever met has within them um, a gap between what others see and what they see. You know what I mean? 
that there's a gap between what you guys think of me and what I think of me. How you guys see me and how I see me. And every human has that kind of gap. And do you know what we do in response to that? The vast majority of us? We do this thing called hiding. Because if you guys really knew, if you really knew who I am, I would be so terrible. And so I have to put some version of myself out there for you. Everybody does this. We, we put some kind of mask on. We put some kind of front out there. God came to the lowest of the low because amongst the lowest of the low, it is the most difficult to hide. A friend of mine once told me the freest night of his life was his first night in prison. It's hard to hide when you're the lowest of the low. When all sense of pretense has been taken away, when you're filthy and dirty and sleeping on the street, it's hard to hide like everything is okay. God goes to the people who look like we all are on the outside, in the inside. They look like on the outside how all of us are on the inside, dirty and afraid and scared and guilty. God came this way because we are this way. We are people of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. Even those who've learned to put the mask on that makes it look like everything is okay. Even those who are hiding their pain and hiding their grief. Harsh fathers, look at their scared children. Maybe one of your kids was scared during the storm. And they said, hold me, daddy. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what kids ask for? My son, my two-year-old, scared of shadows right now. Uh, which, can we be honest, is ridiculous. What would a bad dad do when my son comes stumbling downstairs at 11 o'clock at night and he said, need you, daddy. Shadows are scary. Harsh fathers look at their children and say, you idiot. It's a shadow. Go to bed. Cold fathers look at the tears of their children and say, grow up. You're too old for this. But good fathers, good dads look at the tears of their children and weep with them. Good dads look at the fears of their children and enter into the fears with them. So perhaps one of the best places to look for the presence of God, especially in a season so charged with emotion like Advent, maybe one of the best places we can start looking for the presence of God is in our own tears. One of my favorite authors tends to write these short little devotional thoughts, a guy named Frederick Beekner. You've heard me say this if you've listened to my preaching for a few years. It's one of my favorite quotes. He writes this. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it's well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. In other words, you know what he means by unexpected tears? It's, it's when you're listening to Mar Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas and before the chorus hits, you just start sobbing. And you're like, I shouldn't be sobbing right now. Do you know what I mean? 
when you see a house with Christmas lights and all of a sudden you don't know why, but your chest starts hurting and you're just, these are the, the, the tears that come out of nowhere are often indications that God is saying, look at me. There's something I'm trying to show you. And why this is so important is because the power of presence is the power of healing. When you are in the presence of a calm, loving person, somehow that helps in ways that information does not. In that presence, we can experience healing of all we are because we share in the presence of all they are. Do you know how you get a hysterical child to calm down? Look at a two-year-old who's sobbing uncontrollably. Put your hand on their chest and say, look at me, breathe. A calm parent calms down an anxious child. A child can calm down when a father who is calm holds him. This is what Isaiah has promised us, that we can calm down because our father who is calm holds us. This is what Christ fulfills for us. Listen to the promise that follows in verse 4. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. Listen, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Do you see the exchange here? There's something his presence is giving to us and something his presence will take from us. He wept to bring us joy. He was crushed so we could be forgiven. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Though he was without sin and rebellion, he absorbed in himself the consequences of our sin and rebellion. His tears were ours. His fears were ours. His punishment was ours. A good dad paid his child's debt. And a good dad drew near to his child to bring us healing. As the author of Hebrews would later say, this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. God came and suffered with us. He suffered for us. He is not a stranger to our circumstances. And because he has suffered with us, we can experience his presence in the midst of all of our pain. Hebrews continues, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Notice it doesn't say we will find answers to all of our circumstances. There God will explain to us why this happened so close to Christmas. In the presence of God, we will find mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God does not try to explain your fears or sufferings away. And, you know, as we said earlier, and I promise you, an explanation is not what you want anyway. God does not provide us answers. He offers us something better, his presence. And in his presence, we will find peace, hope, and comfort. The promise of Advent, this season that we're in leading up to the Christmas season, is the promise of a suffering savior. Not a celebrity king who would come with all eyes on him, but one who would come and carry our weakness, who wouldn't be attractive or beautiful. If you want to experience the presence of God this Advent season, which is 
bad way of saying that. I think all of us want to experience the presence of God. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are diff- find it too difficult or too unfamiliar. If you're willing to try to experience the presence of God this Advent season, your tears may be a good place to start. How do you, how do you look for God in your tears? Well, some of you just need to make space for them. Are you the kind of person that when you feel it choked up, you say, give me a minute. You know, you fight it back and you hold it down. I'm not saying we should be slobbering messes everywhere we go, but if there is no room for your tears, you're not going to find the presence of God in them. I'm not saying you need to have a meltdown at work. But somewhere, someplace in your life, there needs to be space for your tears. Perhaps they're unexpected, as Beekner wrote about earlier. If you can, when the unexpected tears come, you just pull your car over and you cry. What if people see me? Who cares? Maybe you know what your tears are, but you're too afraid of them. So give your space. Go somewhere where you can feel safe and give room to the tears that you need to cry. What are their names? What are they telling you? How have your tears, you know, how do they reveal to you your foolish or your sinful choices? I don't know. Make, make space to pursue some clarity there. Make some space for your tears. Um, and then maybe even with your cheeks still wet, like we're not supposed to be people that just walk around moping. This is, you know, the, the Sunday where we reflect on joy in Advent. And we must not make the mistake of thinking that joy and sorrow are somehow different. Uh, we are not meant to be a people that stare at our toes and weep all the time about how sad and hard life is. Neither are we supposed to be people who act like everything is fine all of the time. What, what do we do? We learn to get clarity on our sorrows. We make space for our tears. And then we turn our attention to the tears of Christ. We, we put our focus on the man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief for a while, the one who was not attractive and didn't demand an audience. He spent his final years homeless and rejected and misunderstood and ultimately murdered. And what we learn to do is to interpret our tears in light of his tears. We interpret our sorrows in light of his sorrows. And here's some of what I mean. What do the tears of Christ say to you about the kind of dad you have? And I mean your father in heaven. I don't, no one will answer for you the question, why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? There is no satisfactory answer to that. People have been wrestling with that for 6,000 years. And instead of providing an answer to that question, what does God do? He comes and he cries with us. He comes and he bleeds for us. What does that kind of God What must he think of you? How must he feel about you? What does the blood of Christ say to you about your father's heart for you? If you learn to do this, if you're willing to try this, I promise you, you will experience the presence of Christ. You will know his nearness and experience his comfort. And in this way, you will experience the present power of the resurrection where we don't have to minimize our pain or our grief, but we don't have to be succumbed and destroyed by them either. 
If, if we have a willingness to have this kind of perspective, and all of our pain become the seeds of new life, the seeds of, of resurrection and hope, that the resurrection of Christ promises that within all of your pain are the seeds of healing. Within all of your pain are the seeds of hope and of life, be it in this present age or the age to come. So all grief, all sorrow when suffered with Christ has within it the seeds of hope because we know that every crucifixion in Christ leads to a resurrection with Christ and that always begins in his presence. The promise of Advent is the promise of a presence, the presence of God himself. And each week we celebrate the sacred meal as an act of remembering the God who suffered with us and for us. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.